Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Female Driven Podcast. We are three film and television writers who are here to talk about how to make it as professional writers in the entertainment industry. This podcast covers what we wish we'd known when we were getting started, and you can learn the easy way what we learned the hard way. I'm Jess Cho. I mostly write for television. I'm Hannah Rosner. I also mostly write for television. I'm Erica Schreiber. I mostly write features. And I'm super excited to continue our conversation about jargon. Woohoo! There was just so many things. We, we got, guys, we made like a whole list and we obviously couldn't get through all of it in one episode. So more jargon. Who wants to go first? I will go first and I will give you guys uh, a note behind a note. If you're getting a piece of feedback from someone and they're telling you something, for example, your main character's uh, job as as a maid, you know, it's just not that exciting. You know, she she shows up, people are rude to her, she's not paid well enough, you know, it just doesn't feel like it's that interesting. Maybe she should do something else. Maybe they're saying, yeah, they sh- she should be a circus performer. Sure, that's a different show or a different movie and a totally different character. But what the note behind the note there really is, is probably that your character is not active enough. They're, they're reacting to things, things are happening to them, but they're not taking enough action. So, so that's just an example. It's sort of a a deeper problem within your story. And what can often happen is if you're getting reads from multiple people, Jess and uh, Eric and I were just talking about our various writers groups that we are in or have had over the years. And if three different people are giving you three different notes, but on the same uh, part of your script on, on, again, your main character or, you know, the midpoint turn or whatever it is, it may not be that one of those three notes is the right thing or that they're all right or that they're all wrong. It's that there may be a note behind the note. So it's really about looking a little deeper and digging into what's the reader really not connecting with here. Where's the disconnect between what you intend and what's actually on the page? You know, a lot of times when you send someone a script, sometimes you get dumb notes, right? It just happens. But sometimes a dumb note there's a note behind the note, exactly like what you're talking about. I feel like I've, I've mentioned this before, but in my writer's group, when, on our like first meeting, someone brought in a script about the gold rush and like the three dudes in writer's group were like, ah, you should add zombies. And I was just sitting there like, what the fuck? Do not add zombies to your historically accurate gold rush script. I was like, but the point is that something is missing, that people are reading this script and being like, I need more. And their brains filled in zombie. But in fact, it's like, you need more character. You need more to happen. You need more action. That remains one of my all-time favorite stories ever. Yeah. <laughs> add zombies. <laughs> add zombies. <laughs> it's also a lesson in uh, don't take every note that you're given because there may be a note behind the note and maybe writing a gold rush script about zombies maybe it's the right choice but think about it really think about it (laughs) maybe there's a note behind the note there right if you're writing a script about how you know what it's like to be a maid and someone's like i don't like that she's a maid well like yes that's when you look for the note behind the note sometimes there's not right sometimes people just say silly things but like in hannah's example like why are you not enjoying the tale of you know this woman who's a maid and what is it about that? You know, like a lot of times when people give a bad note, they're providing an answer instead of raising the question. And so I think that's what the note behind the note is, the question that you should be looking at. I feel like a lot of times a, I wouldn't say a bad note, but a not helpful note is when they pitch you something. They're like, hey, why don't you have an asteroid come in? 
at the end of your movie. It's like, this is nothing to do with asteroids. And then you realize the note behind the note is really just that they want something more exciting to happen in Act 3. So a good way to remedy it is just to be like, why do you want the asteroid? And then the person who's giving the note has to think about it and like, oh, I guess it's because I was sort of bored during this section. And that's a note that you need to take. Well, speaking of, of things that you write and then don't necessarily get the result that you want, I want to talk about two of the most infamous words in like screenwriter lexicon, which is well told. So well told is something that you often hear after a pitch. And I would say there's two possible meanings to well told. The first is that you actually told that pitch well, right? Let's not, let's not say that that's not a possibility. Like you do your pitch and you, the exec hears it. And then they say, wow, that was really well told. Here's the other possibility, which is they don't know what to say because it was terrible. And so they will tell you well told. Well told pretty much is kind of nonsensical at this point because I think that every producer and exec says it even even though they must know that we writers regard it as one of the worst things you can hear after a pitch. But there it is, right? So like, just know if you are told well told, one, it might mean that you didn't actually do a good job or two, it might mean that this exec is just very uncreative in their feedback and you actually did a good job. Like I have actually sold a pitch that I was told well told, but... It, it usually means like, no, thank you. I don't know. I'd, I'd say it's usually, I don't know that it's usually one or the other because I only have my own experience, which is very little, but, and secondhand what I've heard from people. And I think writers might be too hard on themselves by saying, oh, well, if they said well told, they hate it. I just think executives, they're just not as creative. Like there's only so many ways you can say, you did a great job, but we don't have development money or we, my boss is going to say no. Like there are a million reasons for them to say no or not, not buy a pitch or buy your movie. They want to start with a compliment before they start giving you all the reasons why not. Right. I would say definitely listen to tone of voice. And uh, Hannah, I totally agree with you. Sometimes well told really does mean well told. And sometimes well told, you know, like it, it's, it's also, you should know this term just because it is definitely a joke within the screenwriter community right. that we all regard <laughs> well told is like we have failed. One of the best responses to a pitch, though, that I is when people uh, do what's called moving past the yes. You you give your pitch, and then the questions start, and the questions are things that indicate that that person has already decided to get it. So you know, I'm trying like some moving past the yes questions might be like, uh, so how fast can you get this into production? That's moving past the yes, right? Here's another one that is kind of ambiguous. When you bring someone a project, they might say they have something like it in the pipeline, and there's two possible meanings here. Just like well told, one is. They are politely telling you, no, thank you. And it's a really like, oh, we can't do it. We have something similar, like nothing to be done. We already have a <laughs> Three Little Pigs in Space project, if I may call back to the Three Little Pigs in Space. It's, it's a hot property right now. Everybody wants to do Three Little Pigs in Space. The other possibility is that genuinely they do. This is a thing that happens. You know, you, you write a project, even if it's high concept, they may have something that involves similar stakes, similar characters, especially a similar premise. That's another one that you just don't know. It's either a polite a polite no or a genuine fact. But there's not a lot of, you know, like you have to kind of go with tone of voice and with how much you trust that person to give you an honest answer. I got one. So the term bottle episode. This is very common in pretty much, I think, every television show. As we all know, making television is expensive. And at one point, the studio or the network are going to tell the showrunner like, hey, you're going to be over budget if you keep going down this path make a bottle episode. And so a bottle episode is basically the, the room comes together and figures out a way to make an episode as cheaply as possible. And usually that means setting 
the most of the events of that episode in one location. The more locations you have in your script, the more expensive it is because every time you have a different location, that's you have to pay for transport, for crew, for the time it takes to set up and to put away the equipment and all of that stuff. That is all money and time. That's that's your budget right there. So to in order to conserve budget, they're like, okay, let's have the entire episode where all of our characters are trapped in a bar because there's a hurricane outside. Possibly the most famous example of a bottle episode is the fly episode of Breaking Bad. I mean, at the time, there was also the writer's strike going on when that episode was being broken and written, I think. So there's also that. But yeah, I mean, that entire episode pretty much takes place in Walter White's lab. And he's just like following a fly. <laughs> That's the entire episode. And you can bet your ass that that was so much cheaper to make than every other episode. And that's why it was there. Bottle episodes usually only have main cast too, right? Like you're not bringing mm-hmm. in any guest stars usually. Yes, cheap as possible. And if it's a network show, the bottle episode is most likely going to take place on your main sets. Like it's not going to be on location. So, and sometimes you'll lean into it. Like there's a story reason that, you know, we're trapped in the house and we can't get out and we're always in the house. Or actually there's a great bottle episode of Broad City. That's a perfect example where they shot it all in the apartment because there was a hurricane outside. It was like Hurricane Sandy episode. And so there was a story reason that they were all trapped inside. And it also played into sort of the cabin fever of like, I think there was some sort of mystery of like who shit in the shoe or something. It was was great. It's a great episode. It's classic. One of my favorites is um, there's an episode of MASH where Hawkeye thinks he has a concussion. And so he has to stay awake and talk. And the whole episode is just Alan Alda talking to keep himself awake and okay. And like that one does actually have guest stars, but like none of the other main cast are in it, I don't think. It's like he gets into some kind of a wreck or attack and he like shelters with this um, this Korean family and they don't speak any English. And so he's just talking. Um, and it's because uh, it's Alan Alda. It's of course completely brilliant. But all episodes are really cool. I feel like they are kind of dismissed sometimes because they're cheap, but like they, they you can kind of put the character in a really high pressure situation in which there's no escape. And I think that's awesome. So the next one I want to talk about is called something called an emo journey. Have either of you guys heard this term? No, I'm excited. Yeah, we usually call it the emo arc. But yeah, I think it's more of a TV term, but it does apply to to movies as well, or it can. I mean, I, I actually was it took me forever to get get it down and understand what it was. And I sort of would just bang my head against the wall trying to get these emo journeys. And then once I kind of got the hang of it, I was like, oh, it's like the emotional journey that your character goes on. I guess every show does them differently. And sometimes you do them just for funsies, just to so, you know, you and the other writers know what the arc is for the character for that episode. But on certain shows, our show, we actually include them in our story areas. And a story area is another jargon that I didn't know before. It's just a document that you send to the studio and the network to basically summarize your episode. It's got the log line. It's got the previously on sort of where you left off the previous episode and then character journeys or emo journeys for each character that's featured main character that's featured in the episode. And then, um, a, B, and C story summaries. So the emo journey is sort of like, what's the character's emotional state coming off of the previous episode? What action are they driven to take in this episode, which is like you're launching them from that action? What's the midpoint turn that changes their point of view from where they started at the beginning? And then what's their emotional takeaway? What did they learn? And 
one thing that actually Jose Molina pointed out the other day, and I didn't even know that I, he said that I said this and I don't know that I said this, or if he's just, he's a very smart person. So maybe he's just giving me credit for something that was his idea. But the emo journey is actually like, it's four beats in your story. Your act one is where is your emotional launch? It's where the character left off. And then your midpoint turn is usually your act an act three beat. And then your emotional takeaway is like going to be an act six beat. And these can manifest in different ways, but it's really just the point of view change of the main character and try to whip an emo journey, just pull it out of my ass right now and see how it goes. Overwhelmed by the pressures of her job, Mary decides to quit and start over in a new place only to discover that her new job and her new location is more difficult than she thought, uh, making her realize that what she really wants is to be home with her family. That was a terrible emo journey, but you get the the structure. It's like how they began, how they feel when they're starting out, and that emotion that drives them to take that first action. So Mary left town and got a new job. But when that new job didn't pan out, she realized that, you know, what she really wanted was something else. So it's sort of like you don't go back to where you started. It's more that you have a new perspective on the point of view that you that your character started with. This is totally a holiday lifetime movie, and it should be called Merry Christmas. Oh, my God. Totally. <laughs> but see, in the lifetime movie version, Mary would... Oh my God, it literally is a lifetime movie. <laughs> Mary moves to a new home and what she learns is that she she just didn't want a career. She just wanted love. She just wanted some hunky man in a, you know, a cabin by a lake. I'm sorry, Hannah. We've already got something like that. In the <laughs> <laughs> but that was really well told. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, just to change directions uh, a little bit, I, I wanted to talk about uh, above the line and below the line because those get thrown around a lot. The line, I would say, is kind of creative power or power in general, right? So above, if you if you have a movie or a TV show, the people who are above the line are, you know, the writer, the director, the producer, and your like lead actors. Those are, and, and, and some of your other actors too. Like I think if some, you know, like the, the actor line is a little nebulous to me, but like below the line is the the crew even like say the dp you know your grips your your pas all of that is below the line so like does the person you're talking about have any like creative impact on the production then they're probably above the line okay a term that i hear all the time is uh rashomon and i could not figure that out and it wasn't until i googled it that i started understanding what it meant so rashomon is actually it's a it was a 1950s japanese film that is apparently based on a short story that was based on another short story. It's a Kurosawa movie, right? Yeah. It's this old samurai movie, and it's about like the murder of a samurai and all the events around it. And when people say the Rashomon, that is basically how every character in or most characters in the story provided their own version of what happened. Different characters providing these sort of very subjective versions of the same incident. You're seeing the story through everyone's point of view, and because everyone has a different point of view, their version of the events change. Now, in Rashomon, it was like everyone was lying um, to protect themselves. But in, you know, present day television, to do a Rashomon style episode, usually there's some like big event, like say an assassination. And then you just sort of go to different characters, like the bodyguard, the translator, the aide, person who was assassinated and you see the events unfolding from everyone's point of view so that as you see events unfold, you get more clues about 
what the mystery really is when what really happened. I'm trying to remember if they did that in Knives Out. I feel Dude, like they, that's exactly what I was trying to remember. Yeah, like I think they, <laughs> I want to say they did because I remember scenes from different people's points of view, but I think it might've only been like only two people's point of view once you like revealed who, you know, you, you think the person who did it and then you reveal who really did it. It's sort of, you saw it like from a different character's point of view, but Arashimon is more like you see multiple characters' point of view on the same incident and you see it from different perspectives and realize, okay, somebody's lying. Or someone you see, it just has different meaning once you have more information. Oh, so I guess along the lines of the Rashomon, one that I heard a lot was the midnight run. And people would say that also as like a plot device. And what they mean is the movie with Charles Grodin and, and Robert De Niro. So Robert De Niro's character is like basically handcuffed, not like literally, but that's another um, sort of, these are like similar, similar terms for sort of the same thing. Like if, if characters are handcuffed together, they may be literally handcuffed together, or they may just be metaphorically handcuffed together where they're sort of stuck together. Um, and usually it means it happens over the course of like a short time, like 24 hours or one night. I believe Midnight Run, I haven't seen it in a while, but I believe that it's like, this guy is sort of a bounty hunter. He's got to locate a guy who is a mob accountant. So he's, he's technically, you know, he's criminal. And it's usually like a lawman and a criminal are sort of paired together and have to like escape a night, like something goes wrong and they have to go on the run together. And it's usually what it really means is uh, when people say this is it's two characters who are totally different and have two completely different points of view, but are, but are stuck together. And over the course of, the, the night or the episode or the movie, they start to see each other's point of view and they inadvertently, unexpectedly bond over, over the course of this short period of time. And the handcuffs, if you ever hear like, oh, the, what's, the, what's the handcuffs? That usually means what's the reason that these two people are inextricably linked and why, what is the handcuffs that's keeping them together? Is it that they are on the eve of their divorce, but they can't finalize it until they make some agreement? Is it that they're married? Is it that they have a kid together? You know, what are, are the... Are they making meth together? Like are they making meth Walter together? Walter White and right. Jesse, you know? Perfect example. Putting interesting people together with opposing points of view is almost always great watching. It's a recipe for success. I, it's so funny. You know, like, I feel like you, your injustice terms are almost entirely like all like writer's room jargon. And I'm like, here's technical job stuff. <laughs> it's so <laughs> helpful though, because so much of this stuff is like everybody just talks about it as if we all know what it means and you really yeah. don't know what it means until you sold a movie or something so no i think the technical job stuff is actually in a weird way more helpful i guess we'll find out listeners tell us what's more helpful <laughs> these are two terms that are kind of one is always the other but the other is not always the first one and i want to talk about a free write or a producer pass a producer pass is, let's say you have sold a movie to Warner Brothers. Good job, you, right? And you have producers. Your producer's name is Producer McProducerson or something. You are working with the producers to make the studio happy, but you are only going to get paid when you turn in a draft or a rewrite to the studio. So the producer pass is basically what producers will ask you to do before you turn it into the studio, or rather before they turn it into the studio. They generally have the power in the situation, which is kind of questionable. But like, so let's say you've written your feature film debut of The Three Little Pigs in Space, and you turn it into producer McProducerson, and they read it, and they say, wait, we really want the studio to love this, so can you please do a rewrite in which there are actually four little pigs? 
this might be a really good note, or this might be a really bad note, or it might be somewhere in between, more likely. So you are now, if you if you do that rewrite, which you will be strongly encouraged to by your reps and by the producers and basically everyone, be like, no, let's let's make it, you know, quote better before we send it to the studio and you get paid. You're gonna do that rewrite for free, or as we can put those together, a free write. <laughs> so there's all kinds of other ways that free writes come up, though. And this is something that the Writers Guild is working on. Um, you might be asked to write the Three Little Pigs entirely on spec because the producers love it, but they think it's not quite there yet, right? If they have the rights to the property, then that's a free write. If you have the rights to the property, if it's your original script, then there's some wiggle room of like, get them to sign off on something that says that you're going to own whatever comes out of this. Um, either way, you'll own your original script. A lot of times in the studio might be like, hey, we want you to rewrite this and we're not going to pay you until you do. That's again, a free write. This is something that comes up a lot in in professional writer's life. And it's something that the situation may call for you. It might be the best move for you to do it. It also might not be the best move for you to do it. And there's no one to advocate for you. So like, it's a, it's a really difficult situation. Writers at almost every level of their career struggle with this. So you're not alone. And there really is to me a difference between like, I, I'm currently writing a script on spec, but I have producers attached to it and they never pressured me to write this script. They're like, we will take this out as a pitch as many times as you want, but we're not necessarily getting what we want out of it. We would be, you know, like more willing to step forward for this if it were a script. And they just gave me that information and it was a script I really wanted to write. So I'm writing it. That's not a, I wouldn't call that a free write, right? Because that's, it's my script. I own it. But yeah, what Jess is talking about happens all the time. Pitch work is free work. It always is. Um, it's super obnoxious. And so that can definitely fall into the free writing territory if they, if your producers or director or whoever asks you to do it multiple times when you're not getting paid. I always want to be like to the development executives like, oh, would you do your job for free? No, stop asking me. It's just such a ridiculous request a lot of the time. Is that all of our jargon, guys? Every time something came up the last couple of weeks on set or in the writer's room, I'd be like, Oh, that's another thing. I got to remember that. Totally forgot. So maybe we'll do a jargon part three at some point. Who knows? I could see that. Return of the jargon. <laughs> that's what this one's got to be called. No, this one is the jargon strikes back. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's <laughs> okay. Guys, we're nerds. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Untitled Female. You can connect with us there or email us at Untitled Female Driven Podcast at gmail.com. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. And tell us what you'd like to hear us talk about. Bye. Bye.